Lord Jesus Christ, you are a prophet. You are the king. You are um, our savior who, who comes to feed us with bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the encouragement that we glean from this. I pray, Lord, that uh, today you would again reveal yourself to us, that we might behold you in, in your glory and your beauty and your provision and your love. Open our hearts, Lord. It's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. So kids, like I said, this is a really neat scene. There's a lot of things that you could draw from this. You could draw the uh, vast crowd of people who are all maybe holding their stomachs because they're hungry. Uh, you could show pictures of, of the disciples as they're passing out bread to everybody. Um, there's lots of things that you could draw here. Maybe you could draw a picture of a, a little boy uh, holding open his backpack and seeing a couple uh, sardines and pieces of bread in there. Uh, there's lots of fun things uh, that you could draw from this. I should find my sermon notes. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, there's this novel, Silence, by uh, Shusaku Endu. And this is a story that takes place, uh, well, it's about a Catholic priest in 17th century Portugal, Father Rodriguez. And Father Rodriguez hears rumors that his beloved, beloved mentor, his teacher, uh, who has gone off to Japan to become a missionary, Rodriguez hears reports that, Rodri that his mentor had been captured. And not only that, he's been captured, but he's also forsaken the faith. He's denied the faith. And for Father Rodriguez, this is just absolute anathema. He can't even fathom that his favorite teacher, his mentor, his friend would do such a thing. And so he's very disturbed by this. And so he decides that he and a buddy are actually going to make the long, perilous journey from Portugal all the way to Japan. And he wants to find him. He wants to find his mentor. And he wants to ask him, like, what in the world is going on? Well, he makes the journey. He gets there. And as you might uh, imagine, Rodriguez has also captured himself. He himself is imprisoned. And he's fed just enough food to barely keep him alive. His body becomes frail and weak. His mind becomes foggy. And it's what we see uh, as the pages continue is that the hunger begins to work on his soul. He begins to distort his soul, his mind. And while he's in, while he's in prison, he imagines that friends from his past come to visit him in his cell. He imagines that he's visited by his mentor himself who comes and questions him and questions his intentions for making this journey and tells him that he should have stayed home. He says that he's a fool for coming to Japan. Also, he's visited by some of the Japanese who he had been witnessing to once he arrived. And they ask him questions about his faith. Uh, they ask if, if he can hear uh, their confession but also at some points in his imprisonment, he's visited by Jesus Christ himself, who, who encourages him, who reminds him of stories in scripture and how Rodriguez's life is kind of paralleling some of Jesus's own life. So all the way, all the while, as you're reading this, you, the reader, you begin to question whether or not these visions are real. You're like, is this actually a vision right now? Or is, is someone actually visiting him and talking to him? You know, maybe his mentor actually did hear that he had arrived and went and found him in prison. 
Or maybe this peasant is actually having a real conversation with him right now. Or maybe the Lord Jesus Christ is giving a real, genuine vision right now to Rodriguez. So the author, Endo, he just does this masterful job of portraying the strange effects that hunger can have on one's mind. When your desires are starved, your grasp on reality begins to slip. Dreams become real. And sometimes your concept of reality, that which is most real, that which is most good in your life, is perceived to only be a dream. You see, hunger and reality can affect one another in that sort of way. So right now we're in the season of Lent. This is a season in which our souls are hungry. We're we're fasting right now. We are on a 40-day journey preparing for the great feast of Easter. And so some of you are fasting from actual foods, uh, maybe desserts of some sort or, or, I don't know, maybe bread or something or alcohol or coffee. Maybe you're fasting from things that aren't food. Maybe you're fasting from social media or music in the car. or Maybe you're fasting from something like that. Or maybe you're one of the individuals who has told me, Rick, I've given enough enough up this last year. Uh, We're just going to consider this last year one big fast. And I get that. I kind of get that. You know, that's fine. But to some degree or another, all of us are coming face to face with hunger. And right now we're in this halfway point in Lent. It's when our spiritual hungers starts to play uh, tricks on our soul. And sometimes we can start making compromises in what our commitments have been at this point. Well, we're going to be looking at our gospel story today, our story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is a story about bread and fish on one level, but this is also a story about reality itself being questioned. A prophet speaks, matter is multiplied, reality is questioned. And God himself walks among a crowd. What is going on here in this story? And also, just as a heads up, uh, we didn't read all of John chapter 6. Later in my sermon, I am going to talk about the other, the second half of John chapter 6, when the crazy stuff really starts happening. Um, But I do want to walk us through John chapter 6 in three different movements today. So first, we see here in verse 2 that a large crowd is following Jesus. They're following Jesus because of the signs that he has been doing upon the sick. Now, it's easy for us to pick on the people at this moment. We, we hear uh, why they're following Jesus, and we can think to ourselves, oh man, these people, they're so selfish. Like, why can't they just leave Jesus alone? Why can't they just give him some space? Like, seriously, they're just going to follow him because uh, he's doing these miracles and stuff. But remember, this is first century Palestine. These are people who are completely impoverished. Imagine the pain and the poverty that, that these people live with on a daily basis. They're people who are physically hurting with real ailments, with little hope of any sense of of wholeness to come to their lives. There's no hospitals, there's no drugstores, there's no physical therapists, there's no family practice doctor who they can go visit. The life expectancy is, I don't know, probably 45 or 50 or so. But now, there's a healer walking through the land. 
And I, we did a little bit of a deeper dive on this a couple of weeks ago, but just imagine what it would be like if a healer is actually walking through the land. Of course crowds would flock after him. They want to see him. They want, they want their own lives to be restored and healed and transformed. They want to bring people in their own, uh, people who they know, their loved ones, they want to bring them to Jesus so that their lives can be transformed. You see, they're not following Jesus just because they're, they're bored and they're looking for some kind of entertainment. They're following after Jesus because they're desperate for God. They want an encounter with the Holy One, right? So like I said, the people are in physical pain. They're hungry, they're in need. And we could theoretically say, like we could, we could judge them and say, oh, well, if they're hungry on this day, why don't they just go back home and pop open the fridge and, and see what they have? But that's not exactly how life is in the first century. Keep in mind, the entire, their entire lives are centered around the ritual of planting and growing and harvesting and pruning or catching or slaughtering or preparing and serving food day in and day out. It's all about preparing food. So it is a real physical need that these people have. But we also see in this story that there's some financial needs as well. It's not like there's a well-resourced person in the crowd, some millionaire in the crowd, who could just buy food for everybody there. There's no one there who's willing to pick up the tab on anything. So there's a, a resource shortage. But also the people are politically desperate. We'll see here in a few moments that they want to make Jesus king. And yes, that is because he miraculously feeds them. But also it's because the people, quite realistically, quite honestly, they need a Messiah at this moment. They're currently pressed under the thumb of Rome. Any extra income that they're able to pull in, that they're able to scrap together, gets taxed into oblivion, goes into the empire's treasury. And so here they hear, they hear rumblings of a Messiah coming. And they think, finally, freedom. Finally, we can save up some money and, and make a better life for ourselves. Finally, we can be provided for. Finally, we can worship Yahweh in all the freedom that we want to. So the people are physically, emotionally, and politically desperate right now. They're desperate. So what do we see Jesus do here in this moment? As the crowd comes, does he just roll his eyes? Does he hop into his car and speed off into the distance trying to escape from these people? Does he tell them, hey, I'm super busy right now. Can you please come back later? Like, no, of course not. Jesus' heart goes out to the people in this moment. This is exactly why Jesus came down to earth, is to be with the people, to be with them, to love them, to be with them. You know, some of you have been told that, or some of you feel as if God is constantly trying to push you away, as if he doesn't have time for you. And I don't know where that came from. Maybe it's because you have a father who was distant from you and you've, you're projecting that on to, the, to God. But look at this story. See what Jesus does here. He wants the people to draw close to them and he is excited to provide for them. You see, Jesus sees their hunger and he wants to take care of them. Jesus sees your hunger and he wants to take care of you. Amen. Amen. So Jesus, in this moment, he invites Andrew and Philip, the a couple of the apostles, he invites them into the problem that's going on. He wants to talk about it with them. He wants to participate in this problem-solving endeavor with his buddies. He says, hey guys, 
What do you think we're going to do about all of this? And Philip, he's like, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> he's like, even a whole year's worth of salary is not enough money to buy food for the amount of people who are here right now. And then Andrew finds a little boy, and he says, hey, this guy has some food that he's willing to share. And the boy's like, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit. I've got some barley loaves. I've got some fish in my backpack. And Jesus is like, yes, this is perfect. I can work with this. And then we start to see fun stuff happening here. Jesus asks everyone to sit down, and he takes the bread. He gives thanks for it. And then he distributes it to the crowd. And the bread and the fish multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. I wonder how many times did Jesus and the apostles go back to those baskets and scoop up more bread and then run over to another group of people and hand out bread to them and then go and, and scoop up more bread and then go. Like how long did it take to feed and notice the text only says 5,000 men. It doesn't mention how many women and children are there. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more than 5,000 people there. Was there 10,000 people there? Like, how many people were being fed? How many hours does it take to pass out all of that food? And I just, I love this story. All four gospel writers tell this story. All four of them. The early church wants us to know about this incredible day. They think this is a big deal, and they want us to know about this because this is a day where thousands of people's hunger was satisfied. They were full. In fact, the, it, the text tells us, I'm pretty sure if we, were, if we were to read it in the original Greek, it'd say that their guts were bursting. You know, it says there, they're like, I can't eat anymore. I'm full. There's extra that is left over in this event. Like, how incredible is that? So Jesus loves to satisfy people's hunger. Well, this week is pretty special. Today is pretty special. Um, not necessarily for happy reasons, but this is the day that marks the one-year anniversary of the pandemic lockdowns. So one year ago is when we started doing home liturgy. Uh, some of you sitting here today actually weren't, you've, you've joined us in the course of that last year. It's just incredible to think about how much our lives have changed these past 52 weeks. So much of our life has now moved online. And it's like we're now sort of walking in this dream-like, hunger-induced, sort of fuzzy kind of way of living right now. Work, leisure, school, even worship has been relegated to a screen. And I don't know about you, but after a year of this, my, my mind starts having a, a hard time differentiating between these different spheres of life. It's like we've sort of slipped into some kind of post-apocalyptic, futuristic, Gnostic, dreamlike sort of world where time kind of fades and hunger sort of dictates what our reality is like. Now, our suffering is different than first century poor Jewish peasants uh, 2,000 years ago, but we have certainly come face to face with hungers of various sorts over the last year, haven't we? The pandemic has brought some of these things to our attention. And maybe for you, it's actual physical hunger. Maybe you have experienced job loss of some sort or pay reduction of some sort. 
and you've been um, encountering moments of fear over this last year. Or maybe you hunger for community. Maybe even right now you're, you're at home watching on the live stream and you're like, I don't even know when I'm going to be able to go out into the world again. I don't even know when I'm going to be able to return to church again. And that desire for, for community is just gripping your stomach right now. You can physically feel the pain. So yesterday was, was kind of surreal. It was definitely fun for me, but it was also kind of surreal. So uh, yesterday, um, a, a lot of you know that there is a, a Lutheran church here in town uh, who've allowed us to use their space uh, over the last year or so. And so yesterday I was working there. They, they allowed me to use some office space there. But also our children's leadership team, they had an all-day morning retreat there at Mount Zion. So down the hallway, I could, I could hear them laughing quite loudly, even though they're all the way at the other end of the building. You ladies were, were just full of joy. And then in the afternoon, many of you came to Mount Zion because you were rehearsing for the Easter vigil event that's going to be happening on Saturday before Easter, which, by the way, please um, block, pencil off that day on your calendars. I, want, I would love for everyone to be able to be here for the Easter vigil. But as you all were rehearsing, again, it was just so much laughter was filling the building. I was having a hard time working, because not because uh, your laughter was inappropriate or anything like that, but just because I was getting emotional. It was, it was so good just hearing fellowship. And I miss that about our community. Because I know that after the service, some folks need to, to leave. You know, there's our, our patterns have changed a lot in the pandemic. But I just miss the amount of fellowship that our congregation is typically able to have. I miss the, the laughter. I miss the joy that we all have. And so yesterday, you know, was a moment of remembering just the beauty and the goodness and the laughter and the happiness that exists among this people. And I cannot wait for that to get fully restored where we can just roll with laughter, with freedom, without masks on and with kids running around and causing a muck all over the place. Like I can't wait for that. So our story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, it doesn't end here. Like I said, there's a second half to John chapter six that we didn't read and it's actually paramount to our current situation to the situation that we ourselves are in right now. So if you have your Bibles with you, you know, feel free to open up to the second half of John chapter six. But what happens is the next day, Jesus goes to the other side of the lake and the crowd follows him over there. They want more food. They're still hungry. And Jesus takes this as an opportunity to point out spiritual realities to them. Jesus says to the people, I and the bread of life. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And the crowd is incredibly confused by this. They start thinking back to Moses uh, giving the people manna from heaven. And they're like, why is Jesus talking like this? What is he talking about? And Jesus is like, all that that happened yesterday in the wilderness, all of that that happened points to me. I am the reality to which those events point. Yesterday, when I provided food for an entire army's worth of people, that wasn't about bread. That wasn't about your stomachs. That was about me. That was about your souls being nourished. In the same way in which, Joseph, in which Moses fed the people bread from heaven, my father 
is feeding you with living bread. That is me. And the people by this point start getting irritated. They think Jesus is talking like a madman. They're beyond confused right now. And rather than calming the people down, rather than setting them straight, Jesus makes it worse. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So now this puts the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in an entirely different light. Because what Jesus seems to be telling us is that he's feeding us with himself, with his own very presence. So if we look again at the first half of this chapter, chapter 6, we see in verse 4 that this is a Passover moment. Remember last week's Passover moment? When Jesus comes into the temple, flips over tables, and then starts telling people about his death and his resurrection? Well, this is another Passover moment. And what we glean from this is that in the same way the blood of the lamb caused the curse of death to pass over the Jews while in Egypt, in the same way that happened, so too the blood of Jesus saves us from the curse of eternal death. We also see here, if we're looking carefully, there in verse 11, we see that Eucharistic language is being used here. Jesus takes bread, gives thanks, and then distributes it to the crowd the same language that we use here at this table every single week. It's as if Jesus is trying to tell us that what we do as the church, which has been done since the early church, since the beginning, is the same thing that's happened, that happened 2,000 years ago on that large field. Jesus isn't just feeding people with bread. Jesus is feeding people with his very presence And then afterwards, there's 12 baskets that are left over. 12, the number of the church. Jesus is saying that miraculously, he equips us. He equips the church with the bread of his presence so that we, the church, are meant to be carrying the presence of Christ out into a lost and hungry and broken world. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break isn't out of participation in the body of Christ. You see, as we come forward and, and feed on this bread every single week, we are participating in the life and the grace and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. He wants to nourish you with himself. So this, this moment of the feeding of the 5,000, this is a living parable a historical, real parable of what happens every single Sunday at church. Right now, we are living in a world that is made crazy by hunger. I mean, just turn on the news. Look at the headlines. Look at people's desires just running amok of this world. And this is why Jesus establishes the church. Not so that we can have awesome music, although our music is great. Not because we can have good liturgy, although we've got the best liturgy. Not because we can have great community, although this community is amazing and beautiful. No, Jesus establishes churches so that we can experience the presence of God. So that our souls can actually be touched by his grace that we can be equipped to go out into a lost and broken world, having been fed and nourished by Christ himself. Amen? 
You see, we have a table where God himself has promised to meet us. I am the living bread, he tells us. Feed on me. Be nourished by me. Are you hungry? I'm here to feed you, Jesus says, with myself. So come and be fed by God this morning. Come and be fed by God. And for those of you who are joining us on the live stream, make a plan. What's your plan to come back? I hope it's not just to to sit at home and and participate in the live stream forever. Uh, I'm sure you don't want that either. But please do come back. Our governor has, has... Increase the capacity. We're going to have more room in here. So please make a plan to come back. And if for some reason that plan is just being blocked or whatever reason, let me know because I want to bring the bread from this table to you. You need to be nourished by God. Let me know so that we can bring the presence of Christ to you so that your soul may be fed. But friends, may we together be a church where people, are com- where people come and feast on the very presence of God himself. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, our souls are hungry. This year has shown us um, just how hungry we are, how parched we are, how starved we are, Lord. Our concept of reality is just getting, um, it's, it's turning into a mess, Lord. Um, we're so easily distracted. We're so easily um, falling into despair. We're so easily um, dividing against one another, Lord. We need your healing touch. So Jesus, may your presence just be abundant here in this community, Lord. May restoration be a, a basket full of bread where people come and they are able to feast upon you. We ask these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.